here. Um, As I think most people know, this is the first of our reading through the Bible weeks. So everyone has read chapters 1 through 11, Genesis 1 through 11. I won't ask for a show of hands. I assume that everyone is diligent about this. And the, 11 cha- the first 11 chapters of Genesis um, make a good division for us because next week we start. Abraham, but what we've what we've we're covering this morning are the foundations before God picks a, a specific people to be His people. Uh, we there's a, and there's an enormous amount. Of, we could spend weeks on on almost any one of these chapters. There's just a lot of detail in it, and things that are really laying the groundwork for the rest of the Bible. And I'm hoping that this morning we can. As we hit the highlights, we can cover the things that themes that will keep coming up uh, again and again. Uh, first of all, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses did. That's right. And how many chapters are in the book? Fifty chapters. That's right. We're going to spend five weeks on it, counting this week. Um, but let me turn it into a trick question. <laughs> If we didn't have chapters and verses in the book, how many chapters would there be in the book? A lot less. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's not bad. Matthew, Matthew knows where I'm going with that question. Um, the, Genesis is one of the few books in the Bible where the author marks out his own chapters. Now, I think most of you understand the chapter and verses we have in our in our Bibles were added hundreds of years after the Bible was written. Um, in, in Jesus' day, they did not have chapters and verses. And, you know, how they found different passages, I don't know. But <laughs> I think what, what they did is they memorized a lot. But Genesis, unlike most of the other books, it has chapter titles. Right, right in 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 the in the book, and I put on the board here what those titles are. If if you're one who likes to take notes, I've got I've got a few of these extras because I figured people would want them. Mary Lee, I figured you would want them. Yeah. Yeah, John, you want to have these out for people that are interested. Uh, if you if you don't don't ever want to take one. I don't have enough for everybody. But if if you if you plan to keep these and, and, and use them in your notes, then you're welcome to take them. And if I run out, I'll have to print more next time. Uh, what? Uh, turn to chapter 2, verse 4, and, and I'll show you what how Moses marks out his chapter divisions. Uh, reading from the New American Standard, he says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth. Now, does anyone have the old King James? It's the only one I know of that, that does this. The old King James. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Yeah, these. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tracy. The Lord, God made the earth and the heavens. Um, the, yeah, these are the generations, it says. And, and now, um, Nancy, read five, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the 
book of the generations of Adam. Yeah, yeah. So in both places it mentions the word generations. Now, most modern translations don't use the word generations in chapter 2, verse 4, because generations means like father, son, grandson. And this is, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And we think, uh, what's the earth's child? <laughs> um, I think they, they could have come up with a very consistent translation if they would say, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 5, this is the book of the history of Adam. But that, that exact same phrase is found in, in all ten of these places here. Um, I think I found, I think in Esau it was, it, it happens, it occurs twice, but they're both, they both have to do with Esau, so I combine them. Um, and I, th- I, I think Moses intended to have ten chapters in his book plus a prologue. And um, the reason why he might want to do that, can anyone think of something that Moses was associated with that had a prologue followed by ten? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. There, there is a prologue to the Ten Commandments and there are ten of those commandments. <laughs> and there were ten plagues. Yes. Um, ten, ten seems to be a number that follows Moses around quite a bit. huh? Um, interesting enough in the prologue in chapter 1 there's a phrase that is found exactly 10 times and that phrase is God said Um, and if you think about that with the Ten Commandments 10 times God said you know thou shalt or thou shalt not Um, now with each of these chapters there's a little bit of overlap, and, and this sometimes throws people off, but whenever Moses starts a new chapter, he almost always goes back and reviews a little bit, picks up a little bit from the previous chapter. And, and so you might at first glance get the impression that uh, doesn't he know we already read this? But that's, that's his style. You just have to understand that. Yes, he knows you read that, but he's starting a new chapter, and he wants to get, he wants to get the scene set, and he goes back, but he'll always give you more detail the next, you know, when he goes through it again. Um, all right, so you can see next time our chapter, chapter six, is what we're going to be reading in next time. Uh, with, if in our numbers, it's chapter twelve. We're going to do twelve through twenty-three. So all the next week's reading is right in that one little, uh, that one little section there. <laughs> And this morning, we do the first uh, five. Prologue plus the first five chapters. The chapters aren't all the same length. <laughs> the prologue is, is obviously of major importance. The prologue really is set in the scene for the book. Um, he begins with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that may actually be kind of the heading for the chapter because the rest of the chapter tells how he did the heavens and the earth in, in, in some detail. Um, I already mentioned that he, he, we have God said over and over, and each time God says, things happen. That, that's the, one of the major points of the chapter, that all God has to do is speak 
and and things come into being that, that hadn't been in being before. There are other themes as well that we want to be aware of. Um, there is the concept of God separated. Notice in verse 4, God separated. And in the chapter, there are three things that God separates. Um, what does He separate in verse um, 4? Light and darkness, yes. And then um, in verse 6, what does He separate? Yeah, He separates the waters above from the waters below. Uh, that, that's with the expanse. And then in verse um, 10, no, that's not the right place. Where is he? No, the one I'm looking for has the word separated. Yeah, now right, here's the one. It's in verse 14. What did he separate in verse 14? Yeah, he separates day from night. Now, you're right in that he did separate the water from the dry land. It doesn't use the word separate, but he did separate that. And what, what's, the, what's this concept of separation? Why would that be important in the Bible? Yeah, Tracy. All right, that, that's what. Yeah, we find that later in the chapter. Humans are, are separate from animals. That's a very important one. We're separated from God. In in the book of Leviticus that we're doing on Wednesday night, can you? I don't know if it uses the word separate, but the concept is there. The people of of Israel separated from the rest of the world. Priests are separate from the ordinary people. Um, the priests had to make a distinction between the holy and the common. There's a separation. The high priests are separate from the priests. The, um, the food they ate, there was clean and there was unclean animals. There's a separation there. Um, that's one of the major themes of the Law of Moses is separation. And we find that concept right there, right here in the very first chapter of, of Genesis. In the very way that God arranged His creation, separation was, was a very important part of it. And, and if you think about it, light only becomes useful if you, if you do separate it from darkness. It, you start mixing it up and, and, you, and you don't have a very useful thing. Um, and when God separated from the waters and the waters, He produced uh, a, an atmosphere that was capable of raining and, and sustaining life without, you know, we, we couldn't have had what we have now if He hadn't done that separation. And again, the day and the night. What, what, would, what would this world be like if He didn't separate day from night? Um, light also has a symbolic meaning. In the Bible, what does light mean when it's symbolic? It means good. It means truth. God is light, as John tells us. In Him there is no darkness at all. We are to be light. That's right. And um, what happens when we mix it up with darkness? Doesn't work. Jesus didn't talk about mixing up light with darkness, but He did talk about mixing up salt with 
with dirt. <laughs> and it's, it's, what do you say about that? Useless. Useless. Yeah, you just throw it out. Um, so this concept of separation is, is a key point from the very beginning, and, and Moses emphasizes it in chapter 1. A third thing that is in chapter 1 that is mentioned repeatedly is God saw that it was what? He saw that it was good. And the last time, very good. How many times do, do we find that in the chapter? You're close. Seven. Seven. <laughs> yeah, Give, uh, I need magic numbers here. Seven is a magic number in the Bible. <clears throat> and seven times in chapter one, God saw that it was good. Um, why is Moses emphasizing that? Right, it, certainly the number seven goes along with the seven seven days of the first week. But yeah, God is to judge what's good. But the people Moses was writing to would have known that this was not a really good place. Um, I mean, it, I for if someone tells me the world is a bad place. I wouldn't say, well, you know, this guy's a lunatic, you know, put him up in an insane asylum. He's seeing the world correctly. It's not a very good place. But what Moses is saying is, when God created it, it was. Seven is a number of perfection, and the creation is a perfect thing. Yeah. So that takes us into chapter two, and I'm going to have to move along because I've got 11 chapters to cover. Ten to go in half an hour here. But chapter 2 goes back and, and covers in much greater detail what part of chapter 1. Well, but the chapter 1 was all about the creation. Which part of the creation does chapter 2 review? Yeah, that's right. Man. Um, now, I don't know whether... He, you know, maybe, maybe he could have done a similar chapter on almost anything from chapter 1. Maybe he could have given us more details about how God created the sun and the moon and the fish and all that, but we're not that interested in those things. <laughs> we're interested in man. And, and for the Bible to be a useful book for humans, it has to answer questions about humans. What are we? Why are we here? Now in chapter 1, we learn something about what we are. What did, what did we learn in chapter 1? We're in God's image. Very different from all the animals. Even though just to look at us, we don't look that different from animals. Animals have heads and feet and arms and you know things like that. So do we. But spiritually, we're in God's image. In chapter 2, he goes into more detail. One of the things we learn in chapter 2 is that although in chapter 1 it says he made them male and female, in chapter 2 we learn that there was a little separation between the two. And and in in between that separation, what did Adam learn? Right. There wasn't anything in the creation that was comparable to him. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a help suitable for him. And so we have his wife, the woman that became his wife, being created out of his own flesh. And so we have the institution of marriage in chapter 2. Um, for this reason, a man shall leave his father's mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
foundational things that, that are still with us to this day. These early chapters are, are all about setting the foundation. And one other thing before we leave chapter 2, what kind of state at the end of the chapter were Adam and Eve in? Yeah, perfect innocence. They were, they were naked and weren't ashamed of their naked bodies. And of course, everybody that's ever read the book of Genesis has, been, has not been in that situation at all. So chapter 3 then is going to answer the question that was raised in chapter 1 of, well, if everything was good to start with, why isn't it good now? And the attack comes from outside that the man and the woman are both in what? They're in what? Yeah, they're in the Garden of Eden. And in past lessons, I don't have time to do it in this lesson, but in past lessons I've talked about how God created the heavens and the earth to be a temple to Him. And a lot of the language from chapter 1 is temple language. Then on earth He created a smaller version of the temple. And the smaller version was the Garden of Eden. And, and Adam was the high priest of that, of that temple. Now, he doesn't use those terms. But later in the, in the Old Testament, it uses language to describe temples that match what you find with the, with, with the description in chapter 2 with the garden. But this attack comes from outside. You know, you know how with the real temple, they had to have temple guards. The priests were guards to keep anything impure from getting in. But who would have thought that an innocent animal would be impure? But this serpent was anything but innocent. The serpent came in, and who did he make his attack on? On the woman, that's right. And the attack came with the, the one major command we found in chapter 1. What was that command? Go, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from that tree, what will happen? You'll die. So, um, and so the servant makes the attack. What does he ask the woman? Well, you're close. Um, he, indeed, has God said, "You shall not eat from any tree of the garden." He just asks the question. Okay. Any limitations? And of course, she knows a limitation, and then he contradicts it. And and really, it's an attack upon God's character. And that this is what the, the very first sin was a failure to honor God for who He is. God is truth. And the serpent said God was lying. And the reason God was lying was because He's selfish. He doesn't love you. And so it was an attack on the, on the very basic fundamental nature of God. God is truth. God is love. And the serpent knows in order to, to conquer... This, these people in this place of God's in order to conquer, he's got to destroy trust in the character of God. Because anyone who trusts God that God is truth and God is love is not going to violate things God has said. And so she ate. She gave to her husband. He ate. And what happened once they ate? Yeah, they knew they were naked. So shame enters into the world. Um, God came 
And what did they do when God was in the garden? And so we have the first fear in the world. And forever since then, humans have been afraid of God. That's the ultimate fear that we have. And then when God started asking questions, uh, what kind of answers did He get? Yeah, blame. And so we have blame. And we've all been playing that game ever since. Not a one of us hasn't played the blame game. Because we're ashamed of ourselves and we don't want to admit we're the ones that did it. And so God then places consequences beginning at the bottom, the serpent who started it all, and then following the chain up through the woman up to, to Adam. And in the process of these curses He places, we also have the very first message of hope in the Bible. And what is that? Genesis 3.15. That's the very first prophecy of what? Jesus. Of Jesus. The, prophecy, the very first prophecy of the Messiah. The seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Then he has a number of other consequences and they get kicked out of the garden. Sin cannot be in God's temple. And so, they're out of the garden. They're in... Um, the world in general, a more hostile place than what the garden was, especially after God cursed the ground. And they have children. Who's their first son? Cain. Eve was so excited, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. You remember God had promised of the seed of the woman, He'll crush the head of the serpent. Here is the seed of the woman. Did He crush the head of the serpent? He sold himself to the devil. And this is the next major theme being introduced in the Bible. The, the conflict, the antagonism between good people and bad people. Prior to Cain, Adam and Eve were both in the same boat. They were, they were not at enmity with each other, even though they were doing some blaming of each other. But with Cain and Abel, you have two people with different mindsets. Abel is trying to serve God, and Cain is not. And although Cain does things that make it look like he's trying to serve God, he does not have faith in God, and ultimately he doesn't love God because he doesn't love God's creature. He kills him. And you find you have the first murder. In chapter 3, you have the first sin. In chapter 4, you have the first crime. And then you follow Cain's descendants, and you have a lot of firsts. You have civilization coming along, but... It does not solve the sin problem. So that brings us to chapter 5, which on our chart up here, that is the second of our Moses chapters. That's the history of Adam's family. And chapter 5 is uh, it's one of the more boring chapters in the Bible. We're, we're going to have some of these as we go along. Um, it, there's a lot of light. What do you find in every, practically every uh, two or three verses? You do, that is unusual, and you won't find that again very much. They lived to have long ages, but uh, something else that you never had found prior to this in the Bible, at the end of every one of their stories, 
and he died. Yeah. Yeah, chapter 5, that you had the first... Now, we, we knew that we had death with Abel, but you know he got killed. But now we're finding that people, even if they don't get killed, they're going to die. They live a long time, but they're going to die. Except for one. Who's the one? Enoch. Enoch. Why didn't he die? Yeah. He walked with God. He walked with God. Another theme that we're going to find later in the Bible, although not not really as much. Um, yeah, he went, went for a walk with God and didn't come back. <laughs> um, and that leads us up. At the end of chapter 5, we, we finally get Noah. His name means what? Yes. The name Noah means rest. His father prophesied this one will give us rest from because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Unusual way he's going to give rest as we're going to see in the next few chapters. In chapter 6, the world becomes absolutely horrible. Um, the um, Let me see if I can find the, the verse that talks about this. Um, Where does what? Verse five. Yeah, that's thank you, Matthew. Then the Lord saw that that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. His actions were evil. His heart was evil. He was just evil through and through. And the earth was filled with what? With violence. So, um, now they they didn't have. Police back in those days, they didn't have courts. These are things that come later. And so these poor people are just living by violence. Whoever's the strongest is the one that can have his way, and other people better stay out of the way or do what the guy tells tells you to do. That was introduced back in chapter four, but in chapter six it really comes to a fruition. And and it gets so bad that God is sorry he even made man. He's going to wipe him out. Um, and he's gonna and gonna give a fresh start. There's only one person he can find, Noah, and Noah walked with God. He's only the he's the second of two people in the Bible that says walk with God. But hopefully they not the, hopefully the others did. It just doesn't say it. <laughs> yeah, Noah and his wife, his three sons and three wives total make totals eight people. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know how many there were, but there could have been millions. There had been plenty of time. They were living to old age. Um, could have been an awful lot of people. And even, it wasn't just animals. I mean, I, I just gave the end. It wasn't just humans that suffered. It was animals as well. Um, because in chapter 1, humans were made to rule over the animals. God, God created this as His creation, but he, but he put us in as the priests to be in charge of it. And so, when the whole priesthood gets corrupt, what, what they're over get, it gets destroyed as well. And so he wipes out man and animals in a huge flood, which later he says will never be repeated. And the only way that anybody can survive is that God graciously provides the means to escape, which is the ark. He gives them 120 years to, to build it, and then at the end of it he puts how many of each animal in the ark? Yeah, we well, usually think of two, two of each animal, 
but of the clean animals, and this is another first, first mention in the Bible of clean animals, he took seven of each of those. I don't know whether it's seven pairs or just seven individual ones, but uh, certainly more than, than the ones that went in two by two. And he's on the ark for approximately how long? Well, you, you have to add several numbers together. You're giving me one of the numbers. You have to add several together. Yeah, pretty close to a year on, on the ark. Um, the 150 days you're thinking of, Tracy, was, was until the water started to go down, but it took a long time for them to go down. And at the end of it, in chapter um, 8, we have some, uh, some additional themes that are introduced in the book. Um, the ark finally comes to rest where? On, on Mount Ararat. And Noah's just sitting there. I mean, the ark's not moving, but he's wondering, you know, is it, say, is it time to get out yet? What, what's going on? And, he, and he'd like to know what's far, farther away. And so he wants to send out something that will kind of spy it out for him. He starts with a raven, but that doesn't work. <laughs> raven finds it doesn't need to land. It has no intention of going back. But he finally, what, what does he send out that does work? A dove, yes. And it comes back with what in its beak? An olive branch. And that tells him that things are starting to grow again. It's dried up. Things, and he doesn't leave the ark until God tells him. But you have that picture of the dove landing on him with the olive branch in its beak. And that has become a symbol ever after for, this, this, for a symbol of peace. In fact, you have almost the same thing that happens in the New Testament when Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down on Him in the form of a dove. He, with Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism, it's very similar to Noah coming out of the waters of the flood and the dove coming down telling Him, there is new life here. Which was the same thing the Holy Spirit was coming down to tell us with Jesus. Um, so he, so God then tells him to come out of the ark, and what's the first thing he does after he gets out of the ark? Build an altar, and he sacrificed what kind of animal? Yeah, one of every clean animal. I don't know how many clean there were, but he did one of every one. And God was pleased. And as a result of that sacrifice that he was offering of clean animals, God made a promise. And what was the promise? Yeah, never. He he recognized in verse twenty-one that the intent of man's heart is evil from his from his youth, but he's never again going to destroy the whole world. While the earth remains, there will always be seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night. All these things. Um, it's a gracious promise. I mean, it's not anything that humans did to deserve it. God is just acting out of His grace. And so then, in chapter nine, um, he. He gives some new rules. So things are changing here. Um, let me see. I forgot to mention. Yeah, you know, we started a new chapter with the history of Noah, uh, chapter three, and then, uh, and that goes on into chapter to begin of chapter ten. But in chapter nine, um, things are changing. In the first place, in verse two, what's the relationship between man and animals from now on? Fear. Yes. I'm sure there wasn't that fear in the Garden of Eden. Um, the animal, I doubt that animals were afraid of men and men weren't afraid of animals. But 
Yeah, she was having up strong. How many women do you know that would do that? <laughs> or men, for that matter. <laughs> um, Attractive snake, yes. <laughs> um, so that's changing. And also, they're actually going to eat animals. No mention is made of eating animals prior to this. Um, but there's one exception when it talks about eating animals. What's the exception? Yes, the blood. And that command that was given to Noah not to eat with the blood is repeated in the Law of Moses. And again, it's repeated in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Um, then God establishes His covenant. And what is the symbol of that covenant that He gives? The rainbow. Um, and so when God sees the bow in the cloud, He'll remember the everlasting covenant He's made with us. And He won't destroy all flesh. And then at the close of, of chapter 9, we have this unfortunate story where Noah gets what? Yeah, drunk from the wine from his vineyard. And, and his, his children behave differently. and They have different characters that behave differently. And then he gives a prophecy, which the prophecy affects especially the, the future descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. Um, the one who was evil is going to end up a slave. The ones who were righteous will end up ruling over him. Now we come to chapter 10, which in Moses' counting is chapter 4. Um, and you may have found chapter 10 somewhat of a boring chapter. Um, it's just a list of the descendants of Noah. He had how many sons? Three sons. And, and it tells about where they, where they end up. Um, so he goes through, and primarily... The, the areas that are being talked about here are areas that would relate to the, the stories in the Bible. Uh, things that, where the Israelites would interact with these people. But um, This is sort of a detailed illustration of what Paul said in, in his sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 where he said, God has made of one blood all the nations of the earth. This is just giving us some details. Yeah, Tracy. Chronological or um, chronological order. Well, or is it like First Samuel, Second Samuel? Is it? Well, I think First, First and Second Samuel are more in chronological order than, than this. Actually, um, the, Genesis is in chronological order within each of these chapters. Within each of Moses' ten chapters, it, it does go in order, but. Whenever you start a new chapter, it goes back and overlaps the previous chapter. So in chapter 10, he goes forward and he goes um, from, from uh, chapter 10 through the middle of chapter 11, he covers things that go way past things later on in the book. Um, because the theme of this chapter is where did Noah's sons end up settling? And to, and to answer that question, you've got to go way far forward in the history. So he does. Um, in fact, um, he even overlaps a little bit into the chapter 11 because um, when you give genealogies, you just kind of keep going. And um, there, in, um, in verse 25, in his days the earth was divided 
talking about the, that's talking about the Tower of Babel, which is in the next chapter. So, it, no, whenever you do this kind of thing where you so and so begat so and so, you may well end up overlapping something in a different part of the story. Which brings us now to chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. Um, what was the goal that these humans had in this in this plane of Shinar? Yeah, they wanted to build a tower to reach heaven. And they were worried about something happening. They wanted to prevent that from happening. What was that? They didn't want to be scattered. Now, what did, what did God told Noah when he got out of the ark? Yeah, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. You know, fill the whole earth. But they don't want to do that. They want to stay put because if they're united, they can accomplish great things. So they're going to make a name for themselves but with this tower and that will hold them together. And in verse 4, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower. And then God looks at this and in verse 7, God says, Come! <laughs> he uses the very same phrase they do. Let us go down. And they're confused their language so they'll not understand one another's speech. And this, of course, is a, is a very major event because... The, the differences of languages is just so basic in the human condition today. And people all over the world are divided on the basis of language. Occasionally you'll find a country that will have multiple languages in it, but if you look inside that language, you'll find, I mean, that country, you'll find those people are divided along language lines too. Just, just take Canada as an example. Uh, and you've got the French-speaking people wanting to break away from the English-speaking people. It all goes back to what what God did to stop the Tower of Babel. Yeah, Tracy. Is that city and the tower? Is that later referred to Babylon? Right. Ohio? Yeah, it was called Babel because all those languages just sounded like a big Babel. <laughs> but later on, the, the, church, the city was called Babylon. And it continues in its same character with Babylon in the... It's trying to become this great empire and it's beating up on the people of God. So that what you had first between Cain and Abel with this conflict between good and evil people now becomes a conflict between evil empires and the people of God. And Babel, and Babel becomes later one of those evil empires. Now in chapter 10 we had another evil empire. Um, there was a guy named Nimrod in verse 9. And it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Calni in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ur and Cali and, and, a, and a few others. Uh, Nineveh later becomes the capital of Assyria, a major enemy of God's people. And then Babylon becomes the capital that um, finally carries all people into captivity uh, in the days of, of Jeremiah and Daniel. We're seeing the groundwork for that here in chapter 11. And then with verse 10, we begin the history of Shem's family. This is a very short chapter. This is only about 16 verses. Um, why are we only following Shem? He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Why, are, why only Shem? He's in the line of Right. Yeah, from Moses' standpoint, he's in the line of the Israelites. From our standpoint, he's in the line of Christ because Christ came from, from the Israelites. So we follow him. We already we got rid of the other guys in chapter 10 by just looking at, at their 
nations and all that, and we, we don't go back and pick them up again. But in, in, in verse 10 here, we have Shem, and you know, we again have you know, how long they lived and, and, and all of that. And we finally come down in verse... Um, in verse 26, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And so with verse 27 we have this huge chapter in Moses' chapter. These are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah is not the one we're so interested in, though. Who is the one that we're really going to read about? Yeah, his son Abraham. And and that's going to continue. Our entire reading for this week is just going to be in, in, in the life of Abraham. We're going through chapter 23 for next week. And so does verse 27 start Moses, a new chapter from Moses? Yes. Five or six? Six, right? Uh, chapter six. It's chapter six, yeah. And we don't read about it in chapter 11, but and it's mentioned in chapter 12, but apparently God had told Abram earlier to leave his father's house and go to the land that he was going to tell him. His original father's house was in Ur of the Chaldees. Where we pick him up at the end of chapter 11, he's in the city of Haran, which is halfway or, or more between Ur of the Chaldees and the land of Canaan, which is where he's going to end up. So in, in this week's reading, we're going to start in chapter 12. We're going to read a number of promises God makes to Abraham and uh, some more of these themes that are fundamental for the Bible. Any questions before we close? All right, I appreciate everybody's help this morning.